If you have a Bible with you, let me invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 4. We're going to pick up today where we left off last week in this encounter that Jesus initiates, this encounter that Jesus has with the woman of Samaria. Last week, we looked at the first nine verses. And just in those first nine verses, we saw what we called God's scandalous grace on display in Christ. And it's scandalous because it's for lost people, for broken people, for messy people, people whose lives are not all put together. And that's really good news because that describes every single one of us. So this grace that we read about in John chapter 4, and the grace giver himself, Jesus, the grace and the grace giver that you read about in John chapter 4 is for you. We just sang in that song, 10,000 Reasons, the verse... You're rich in love, and you're slow to anger. Your name is great, and your heart is kind. Is that really true about God? For the sinner, for the weary traveler, for the brokenhearted, is it really true that God is slow to anger and that his heart is kind? We see the answer to that in the person of Jesus in John 4. And so we ought to be comforted this morning. Whatever you've come in here with, there's comfort for you in Jesus in John 4. We ought to be encouraged by this. Whatever discouragement you're carrying in your heart or in your own faith or in your life, we're encouraged by the gospel of Jesus Christ in these verses. Jesus comes to our Samarias, our broken, hurting places. And Jesus comes to us Samaritans, us broken sinners whose lives are not all put together and who are carrying around an awful lot of hurt. Jesus comes to us and he takes initiative. The pressure's off. You don't need to take the initiative. Your faith could have grown quite cold You could be quite far from God. You could be avoiding God. You could be carrying all sorts of burdens and losses and sin. You don't need to take the initiative. Jesus takes the initiative. And we see his initiative here in this encounter with the woman at the well. So notice with me, just to back up a couple of verses to where we were last week. In verse 7, if you've got it in front of you, that the first thing that Jesus says to her is a request. He asks her for something. He asks her for a drink. And as we read on then into the verses we'll look at today, we see why Jesus asked her for something. And Jesus didn't ask that woman for something because he wanted something from her. Jesus asked that woman for something because he wanted something for her. And the same thing that Jesus of Nazareth wanted for for that woman at the well. He wants for you and he wants for me. So Jesus takes initiative 
And last week where we left off was with the woman's amazement at this, that Jesus would initiate conversation with me. How is it, she says in verse nine, that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So now as we move on to verse 10, Jesus moves the conversation to a new level. Jesus elevates the conversation here. It's a turning point in verse 10. Because now as Jesus continues the conversation with her, he shows us what we can expect from him. What we can expect from Jesus. What is Jesus's countenance towards broken people, towards hurting people, sinful people, people with shame and sadness in their life? What is his disposition towards sinners? We're, we're taking our time through this passage for a reason because this is fundamental. Is he or is he not the friend of sinners? Does he or does he not mean what he said in Matthew 11? Come to me and I will give you rest. Or is he going to beat me up? Verse 10. How does he treat us? What can we expect from him? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, if you only knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So we've seen this a thousand times before and in the scriptures and in the gospels, we'll see it a thousand times after this. The gracious initiative of God and the gracious initiative of God is that he gives. He gives. Remember with me, the, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, we looked at it a few months ago, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that what? He gave. It's fundamental to understanding God, fundamental to understanding grace and the gospel. God loves, so he gives. And so God in his grace gives Jesus. And now here, as we're reading in the gospels, that gift himself with a capital G, the gift himself is speaking to the woman and he reveals that he, God's incarnate gift, has a gift to give. You've heard the expression. You've used it. We've all used it. The gift that keeps on giving. Jesus is that expression embodied. He is a gift and he keeps on giving. So he says to her with a sparkle in his eye, if you only knew the gift of God himself and who it is that is speaking to you. Now, let me pause there for a moment and ask, if, if you didn't have the script in front of you, if, if your Bibles were closed, you had never heard this story before, and Jesus sets, up, sets it up like this, if you knew who it was who was speaking to you, what has your religious background or your professional background or relational or familial or just kind of spiritual background, what has your background conditioned you perhaps to expect from Jesus here after he says that? Imagine he's looking at you, he's making eye contact with you, he's looking at you and he's saying, if you only knew 
who it was that was speaking to you. I wonder how many of us would think that the next words out of Jesus' mouth are going to be words of demand, the words of condemnation. If you knew who I was, if you knew that I was God, then you would come to church more often. If you knew who I was, you would have read your Bible more recently than 2017. We're conditioned, many of us, to think that Jesus is going to meet us and he's going to hit us over the head with a Bible. It's not what we should expect from Jesus. If you've come in here this morning with that warped image of Jesus in your minds, let's, let's get that warped image of Jesus out of your mind today. See the real Jesus here. This is the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Gospels. And in this conversation with this woman, he doesn't hit her over the head with the Bible. He doesn't immediately come at her with a long list of demands and do's and don'ts and legalism. He doesn't even communicate a shred of condemnation. You can look for it, but you're not gonna, you're not gonna find it here. No condemnation. He's the gift of God's grace. So what do you know? He embodies that grace. So what do you know? He extends that grace and he gives and he gives and he gives out of that grace. So the full quote here in verse 10 is dripping with grace. If you only knew the gift of God, who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, then you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This whole thing so far, notice this with me, this whole thing so far has been one big setup. Jesus set up the path through Samaria. He set up sitting at a well. He set up initiating conversation with this woman. Jesus, God, initiates a conversation with a broken, weary sinner, and he doesn't demand anything. He offers her. A gift. So maybe he's been setting you up too. You never know. You're thirsty, you're weary, you're beat up, you're worn out. And he's setting you up, literally, and I mean this pun more literally than I've mean most other puns. He's setting you up for a come to Jesus moment. You never know in your life when you're feeling at rock bottom or when you see someone close to you that you love and it's hard to see them like this. You see them at rock bottom and you see them weary or avoiding God. Maybe that's because Jesus is in the process of setting up a conversation at a well. And if that's true, which it most likely is, when that conversation begins at the well, Jesus is not going to condemn. He's going to offer a gift. It's not stretching the text to see that this woman was in a very fragile place. What we know about her, especially as we go on later into the chapter, she was in a very fragile place to receive a gift from this man at the well was probably the last thing she expected. 
We can imagine she was very well aware of her shortcoming, shortcomings, the shame that she carried around with her in the eyes of her culture. So when she encounters Jesus, she's vulnerable. She's in a tender place. And so Jesus, if he wasn't who he is, could absolutely destroy her right now in this scene. Just with a look. You know the kind of look I'm talking about. Jesus could have destroyed her with a look or with a word. Jesus could have commented on, why are you coming to a well at noon? He could have commented on her clothing. He could have commented on her ethnicity, but he doesn't destroy her. He doesn't belittle her. He doesn't berate here. And note this, that Jesus does not come down on her. He comes alongside her. Jesus, the real Jesus, is kinder and more gracious than she and than we can ever expect. Maybe some of you have had moments in your life, maybe right now, when you've been in a fragile, vulnerable place and someone hasn't been like Jesus to you. They've demanded something out of you or they've been cruel about something tender in you. And maybe some of you have had moments in your life, unfortunately, when the church hasn't been like Jesus to you. You've come to the well, broken, tired, weary, worn out. And you haven't left that well feeling loved. You've left feeling ashamed or guilty. And if you've had those sorts of experiences, it might have wounded something in you and you might think that this is what you should expect from Jesus. So here's the invitation. The invitation from God's word, the invitation from the Holy Spirit is to come to Jesus again. Come to the real Jesus. He might ask for something from you, but it's a setup because he wants something for you. We'll sing this verse later in our final hymn frail children of dust and feeble as frail. In thee do we trust, nor find thee to fail. Thy mercies, how tender, how firm to the end, our maker, defender, redeemer, and friend. Is that true about God? You're rich in love, you're slow to anger, your name is great, your heart is kind. Is that really true about God? Is that his countenance, his disposition towards sinners, towards broken people, weary people, wounded people, grieving people? Yes, it is. We see it in Jesus here. That's what we can expect from him. That's what you can expect from Jesus. So now, as we get into more of their conversation, we also see what we can receive from Jesus. He has a gift. 
He longs to give us. This is what we can receive from him. And he's very clear here about what he wants for this woman, what he wants for us. And what he wants is for us to have living water, living water. So the woman says to Jesus in verse 11, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? So note with me that she's on a journey of belief here and Jesus is okay with that. She hasn't graduated from seminary. She doesn't have a PhD in systematic theology. She's on a, a journey towards belief in Jesus and how we know that is just by that first word where she calls him sir, sir in verse 11. So he's not just a weary, mysterious traveler anymore. Now he's a respectable man. So don't be discouraged in your own life or in lives of those around you when people are on different steps of a journey towards understanding who Jesus is. So sir in verse 11. Now in verse 12, she asks really a critical question. It's a critical question here in verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Are you greater than Jacob? This is a key question. This is the crux of it. The question to Jesus, because it all rises and falls on his answer to this. Jesus, are you saying that you are greater than Jacob? Are you saying that you are greater and above and before the patriarchs of the faith? Jesus of Nazareth, the man Jesus, are you saying you're greater than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? If the answer is no, then we have nothing to receive from Jesus. He's just uttering empty religious talk here. But if the answer to this question is yes, Jesus is greater than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then that means he's God. So she asks the question, are you saying that you're greater than Jacob? And Jesus responds masterfully. Because he doesn't answer in such a way that would push her away. If Jesus had just answered blankly, yes, then what would have happened would have been that that little spark of belief that was starting to grow in that woman's heart, that little spark of belief would have been extinguished by offense. When, when I read the gospels like this, sometimes I long for Jesus just to be like, yes, that's me. Any more questions? Why does he tease it out? Why is he so covert sometimes? It's because Jesus treasures that little flame. He's not insulted by it. Jesus doesn't say, Psh, that's where you're starting off. We're going back to square one. Jesus is very happy to start at square one. He treasures that little flame of faith, that little ember. And what he does then is he, he teases it out. He woos her to himself gently. Jesus responds in such a way that fans that little spark into a flame. You've probably done this before when you're building a fire in your fireplace or in a fire pit. There's a little spark 
little embers glowing, and, and you know you're getting somewhere. And so you're very careful with that beginning of a fire, and you just blow on it a little bit, and you know you're, you're getting somewhere. So Jesus does that. And again, be encouraged in your own faith or in those around you, that little spark. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, pointing at the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him or in her a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, this is important for us to see because we're, we're considering here what we receive from Jesus. Jesus is not saying that he is the living water. Jesus is saying that he gives the living water. I point this out because there are other places, plenty of other places in the Gospels where Jesus says that he is something. In the Gospel of John, there are the seven famous I am statements of Jesus where he says that he is something. The bread of life, the light of the world. Jesus says he is the door of the sheep, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, the true vine. He says he is those things. He doesn't say that here uh, about living water. If you see it in verse 14, he says it twice there in that one verse alone, the water that I will give him. So Jesus clearly differentiates between himself and the gift of living water that he gives. And that's because the living water that Jesus gives is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the living water. And Jesus now is beginning to tease out here, again, very carefully, and I don't know if this is a word or not, woo-fully, the idea of the person and the work and the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit will be a major theme more and more in John. But for today, by saying that he gives this living water, Jesus means that he's the point of access. Only through him, only through faith in Jesus can a person receive the fullness of the gift of life in God. He's saying you cannot access Life in God, fullness of life in the Holy Spirit apart from Jesus. You cannot get the living water apart from Jesus. And so that's why Jesus arranged to have this conversation of all the places he could have chosen to meet a sinner, a broken person, a tired person. He chose for this conversation to happen at a well because there's one point of access there that that woman has come to. She's come to the well. And she's come to that point of access in order to get something, water. And so Jesus' message for her and his message for you is that he is the point of access through which a thirsty person can receive living water. Jesus says, come to me 
all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. I will give you living water. So just like Jesus is the only way to the Father, Jesus is the only way to the Spirit. So what we can expect from Jesus, what we can expect from him is is not a closed fist of condemnation. But what we can expect from him is an open hand of, of grace, of invitation. And then what we can receive from, his, from him is the gift of fullness of life in the Holy Spirit. Let me close just by pointing out one last thing in our text here. That Jesus isn't ignoring her real physical thirst. He's not dismissive of the fact that she needs real water He's not dismissive of the fact that you and I need real water. But Jesus is showing his great love, his great heart for this woman that longs for something so much deeper than she is getting elsewhere. There is a deep longing in this woman that she is seeking to fulfill in all the wrong places. And in this way, we should all see ourselves in her. If we want to understand this story, we should see ourselves as the woman of Samaria. Because deep inside of of you, deep inside of me, is deep longing, deep woundedness, deep pain deep hunger that we constantly, stubbornly seek to fulfill in all the wrong places at countless worldly wells. And so Jesus positions himself at every single well we're tempted to go to. Every worldly well you seek to go to, Jesus is there. If you have eyes to see him, and he's not there to condemn you or to shame you, he's there to draw you into life in God. Behind that bottle on your shelf, that you're gonna reach for again. Behind that website that you're gonna be tempted to go to again behind your phone, behind that drug, behind your grades, behind your popularity, behind that promotion. Whatever your worldly well of choice, Jesus parks himself there. And if we only have eyes to see him, we'll see him tender, kind, smiling, not with a closed fist of condemnation, the open hand of invitation. Jesus is sitting there at those wells, and you know your wells. We all have our own wells. Jesus plants himself there, and he offers you access to a well that will never run dry. He says, if you only knew the gift of God, you would have asked him, He would have given you living water and the water that I will give you will 
become in you a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So our text ends this morning in verse 15 with the woman responding to this with another baby step of belief. She doesn't really understand what he's saying. She might still think he's speaking literally. That's okay. Jesus is okay with that. There's a baby step here of belief. There's a spark of belief. She says, sir, give me this water. Whatever you're talking about, Jesus, I want it. I don't understand it. I can't explain it. It doesn't make any sense to me. But Jesus, whatever you're talking about right now, that sounds good to me. That sounds better to me than the life that I'm living. Yes, Jesus, you've put your finger on something. I am desperately thirsty. I am trying to fulfill that thirst in all the wrong places. So Jesus, I know I just met you, but whatever you have for me, I'm ready. The fact is, this woman had absolutely nothing to offer Jesus. And it didn't matter. (laughs) This did not depend on how much she had to give to Jesus. She had nothing to give to Jesus. Jesus had everything to give to her. And the same is true for you. This is how grace works. This is the gospel. We bring our nothing. We bring our brokenness our sinfulness, our lostness, our weariness. And God in Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, gives us all of his fullness. Notice with me that instead of treating this broken, sinful woman like a reprobate, Jesus honors her and treats her like a representative This woman at the well is a representative for you and for me. We are all the woman of Samaria. And Jesus is ready and eager to meet us, not with condemnation, but with a gift. This is what you can expect from Jesus. And this is what you can receive from Jesus. So let me just preach to myself here. You can listen in if you'd like. Stop settling for less than what the real Jesus has for you. Let's pray. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace then like a fetter, like a chain, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander to other wells. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Just take a moment, give God your heart. Whatever's going on in your heart this morning, He sees it. He treasures you. Here's my heart, my broken heart. 
a sinful heart, a weary heart. Seal it for thy courts above. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.